Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, Week 12 Wave of Wire Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Hope you guys are having a fantastic Tuesday. Best holiday of the year is on the way. I cannot wait, but we got to get those fantasy football rosters looking good before we eat enough turkey, cranberry sauce, gravy, whatever the hell you enjoy uh, over on Thursday. So joining me, as always, on this lovely Tuesday afternoon, PFF's finest ranking expert, overall just grinder, Nathan Yonke. Nate the Great, what's going on, man? Hey, doing well. I'm glad to see that you've at least somewhat recovered from our sleeper league loss that you just oh. took this past week. But You keep bringing up that I'm in 22 leagues, Nate, and because of our awesome sponsor at Sleeper, I have to continually bring up our PFF league where things were going nice yesterday and uh, George Kittle just had, me, had to send me straight to hell out there. So it is funny how, you know, the way we consume fantasy, it has to be, you know, from moment to moment. Because if I had just, you know, looked at the score at the end of the week, then okay, took the L, whatever, five points, what's the big deal? It's when we have to torture ourselves, Nate, and follow the projected winning percentage. And then I think I'm up and then and I'm not. You guys all know how that goes. Nothing worse, obviously, than, you know, having that top tier team, even the, I'm sorry, bottom tier team, even though you got all those points scored. But you know what? That's enough whining, Nate. Guess what I'm going to do? Watch the film, get better, and take down whatever poor soul is facing me in week 12. So with all that, everyone, awesome show here on the docket for you. As always, we're going to go through all the week 11 shishas. Not quite all of them. You can actually find every single one of them on pff.com. But at least the main ones let you guys know some of the big missed opportunities from last week and then we'll go through all of nathan's awesome waiver wire stuff that you can also find on pff.com but starting off with the week 11 sheesh report again always just looking at nullified touchdown big play opportunities that were missed all the near misses that if you watch the games you would happen to see and you probably cried about because they did not help your fantasy team score those points but if you missed them some nice beyond the box score notes to help give you a more clear idea of what actually went down in week 11 so with that the biggest sheesh of week 11 guys has to go to talented but not in this play Steelers wide receiver George Pickens had a nice day out there but could have should have would have had a 49 yard touchdown at the end of the game under two minutes left bounced right off his hands kind of looked like he was surprised Kenny Pickett even got the ball past those defenders in the first place but I'm not going to disparage Kenny there awesome throw hit Pickett in the hit Pickens in the hands I, I should say was not able to come down with it I saw there was someone because of the timing of the game, every other game had uh, wrapped up at this point. So a lot of sweats going on that DraftKings millionaire maker and to have that big of a swing happen in the last minutes. That's why we do have the sheesh of the week. So that was one of five official drop touchdowns of week 11. We also have Browns tight end Harrison Bryant drop a 14-yard touchdown in his hands. And on the very next play, Browns tight end Farrell Brown also dropped a 14-yard touchdown. TJ Hawkinson also dropped a six-yard touchdown. And Stefan Diggs kind of a tricky one he did officially drop a 10-yard touchdown but he also got called for offensive pass interference on the play so wouldn't have counted even if he did hold on but was still a drop at least he did help up the uh, camera person who he absolutely drilled after coming out of the back of the end zone final note Dalton Schultz I don't know, Nate. It's a tough one. It wasn't an official drop, but I like to think that Des Bryant is the ultimate, you know, referee official on what constitutes a catch and what doesn't. And Des said that Dalton should have gone up with two hands in the back of the end zone for what had the chance to be an 11-yard touchdown. Instead, he only put one out there. So wasn't an official drop, but still would have been a lot cooler if Schultz maybe was able to use both hands on that one couple examples of pass catchers who were open enough to score a touchdown unfortunately they just didn't get an accurate enough pass Justin Fields unfortunately had two of these so obviously freaking six straight finishes as a top 12 quarterback four four or five straight as a top six quarterback dude has been absolutely balling and a lot of good things have been happening in the past game in addition to obviously all the great stuff on the ground that said, everyone, two big misses last week. The most notable happened pretty early in the game. Darnell Mooney got wide open deep after his cornerback fell down. Fields overthrew it. 67-yard touchdown wasn't meant to be. And, Nate, what cracks me up about this is, you know, I'm tweeting throughout Sunday, and I'm bringing up how Fields had this overthrow. And out of absolutely nowhere, we got two of fans on by on buys getting into the mentions talking about how, oh, yeah, the underthrows aren't so bad now, are they? So, guys, chill out. Two is absolutely balling. The Dolphins are great. Just enjoy the bye, okay? We don't have to be making every single thing about Tua, but maybe more on him in just a bit. The other miss for Fields, Chase Claypool got open in the end zone from just about five yards out. Fields extended the play, couldn't quite hit who was eventually a wide-open Claypool in the end zone. Luckily, defensive hold, so they end up scoring on the next play anyway. And finally, we all kind of joked around about how the Broncos – 
on the game's ultimate final play when Devontae Adams scored that long touchdown. If you watch the covers, they really did seem to tilt more towards Keelan Cole than Devontae Adams. It was a great route to put Patrick Sertan in a blender regardless, but I will say earlier in that game, Keelan Cole was open deep downfield for a potential 55-yard touchdown. Carr just couldn't make the throw. Uh, we had another annoying instance of a running back putting his real-life teams, you know, winning over his fantasy teams, which I just cannot believe is still happening in the year 2022, Nate. But Antonio Gibson at the end of the game, good game, 103 total yards, probably could have had a touchdown there at the end. He got the corner, and then he basically did the thing where he tried to slide down after the first down marker before the end zone to officially seal the game. The problem was he actually slid down short of the first down line, but he ended up picking up the yards two plays later, just didn't get those extra six points that would have been awfully handy in fantasy land. Other point I would make, it's Justin Jefferson. I know he got locked up by Trayvon Diggs, but if you guys watched that game, one of the first opportunities he had, slot fade, sure looked like it had a chance to be a 28-yard touchdown. Diggs got away with a little bit of a hold there. So still an awesome game from Trayvon Diggs. I mean, even if that was a touchdown, we're talking about holding Jefferson to under 60 yards on the day. Just realized he got away with a little one there. Uh, back to Jacoby Brissett. I mentioned the drop touchdowns before from Harrison Bryant and also Farrell Brown on back-to-back -back plays. I mean, this dude threw for 324 yards and three touchdowns out there. And honestly, there was even more yards left on the field. So I get it. A lot of that came in, you know, quote-unquote garbage time in the fourth quarter with the Browns coming back. So if it had been more competitive with the lack of these drop touchdowns early, maybe he doesn't put up, you know, that much bigger numbers. But again, those garbage time yards, like these were tight window throws downfield to Don from Peoples-Jones, especially Amari Cooper. So really was an awesome performance from Jacoby Brissett. But also in that game, Amari Cooper and David Njoku had 25-yard near catches. Njoku just bobbled it, throws a little behind him. Cooper only could get one foot down. And then also after one of Cooper's touchdowns, he couldn't even get the second foot in bounds. I'm sorry, he went out of bounds first before catching that two-point conversion. And then finally, Harrison Bryant also almost had a 16-yard touchdown, only could get one foot down. So those were Shishi. And we're going to finish things up, guys, with the leaders in unrealized air yards. Again, air yards, all it is is tracking the amount of air yards that the ball traveled from the quarterback's hand to the point where it was either caught or hit the ground. So if I throw a 50-yard incompletion to Nate, that's zero receiving yards and it's 50 air yards. If I throw a 50-yard completion to Nate and he takes it for a 75-yard touchdown, that's 50 air yards and 75 receiving yards. So by taking the difference in that, we can hopefully find some future performers who are going to ball out. Always your weekly reminder to go check out Josh Hermsmeyer's fantastic air yards by low model on pff.com. But the top five receivers from week 11 in terms of unrealized air yards, number one, Alan Lazard in the Green Bay Packers. We kind of forget in that Thursday night game, Nate, just how close Lazard was to having a big performance. Obviously, shout out to Christian Watson, though, for get scoring all those touchdowns. Browns wide receiver Amari Cooper had 75 unrealized air yards. Again, already a great game. Could have been even bigger. Also had Christian Watson, another guy who already had a good game could have been more Alec Pierce and finally Terry McLaurin who continues to get peppered with targets from Heineke just wasn't quite the best performance from Washington there so with that Nate we are officially moving on to week 12 and we are done crying about all the mistakes and sheeshes from week 11 so as always people can find your handy dandy waiver wire information on pff.com and especially love your big five to add to cut buy low on sell high on let's start off with that Nate so number one waiver wire edition of the week Chiefs running back Isaiah Pacheco still only owned in 43.2% of ESPN leagues. And Nate, it was a situation where even before this week, we had seen Pacheco come on, you know, back-to-back -back or three straight starts, I think, at that point. And Claude Edwards Solaire wasn't even involved in, without a single carry in week 10's matchup. So Pacheco was already taking over, but now when you throw in CH with a high ankle sprain, sure seems like Pacheco is going to be getting 15 plus carries more weeks than not here moving forward. Oh, yeah, there is a little bit of concern because they were trying to get CEH a little more involved than they were the previous week before his injury. And they do have Ronald Jones, who's been fourth on the death chart, constantly inactive, who will probably get a couple carries here and there. But I also expect with Kansas City's schedule, they'll be able to be ahead in a lot of these games and allow them to be running the ball a lot. They also face some teams that have some pretty good secondaries, not as good run defenses, so he'll be able to take advantage of that. So even if he doesn't keep the volume quite as high, uh, he's been fairly effective running the ball recently, and I think they'll be able to do that in these next few games as well. 
It's a good point on Rojo because unfortunately, if we do see Pacheco's carries get hit, that's going to make things pretty difficult in full PPR formats. Jarek McKinnon continues to lead this backfield in snaps more weeks than not. I mean, Pacheco on the season has only caught three total passes, so really does need to make the most out of those carries. And he has from an efficiency basis over the past two weeks. You would like to think the touchdowns are going to get there at some point. That said, Nate, Chiefs are the league's only offense throwing the ball in over 70% of their plays inside the 10 yard line so all those Travis Kelsey touchdowns you know Mahomes just always finding a way to the underhand shovels you know whatever Andy Reid draws up inside the red zone not always just that simple running back handoff up the middle that the fantasy managers would prefer but Pacheco hey man at this point you know whatever fab you have left basically if you can go out there and get yourself someone that we expect to be an RB2 more weeks than not moving forward not going to be a bad idea at all Moving on to our top wide receiver edition of the week. Maybe he's already taken in your league. God forbid he's not. Go get Packers wide receiver Christian Watson. We've seen it five touchdowns over the past two weeks. Still only owned a 55.9% of ESPN league. So, Nate, as much as, you know, we want to sit here and say, hey, how come Christian Watson isn't available in any league that I happen to be in? There are still apparently 44.1% of ESPN leagues out there where this man is a free agent. So, again, don't want to be a dead horse here, everyone. But there's a reason why Nate and I had to come back for, what, four or five straight weeks and say Justin Fields was going to be the over overall QB one sometimes not overall QB one excuse me but the number one QB waiver wire pickup of the week so with Watson Nate it's one of those things where if it ain't broke don't fix it and the guys going out there as a top two pass game target for Aaron Rodgers don't especially see that changing anytime soon oh uh, yeah they had four of their wide receivers healthy which is the healthiest they've been at wide receiver since week one and he was still the clear starter playing over 80 percent of snaps seeing plenty of targets um, he has the best target share among the Packers wide receivers in terms of targets per route run so far this season. So I think he'll continue to see plenty of targets and they really like him scoring touchdowns too. So that's definitely not a bad thing if you want him in your lineup. Where have you kind of settled in ranking Watson this week, Nate? We have zero bye weeks, which is, uh, you know, obviously making things a bit more thin throughout. I believe I have him in that upside wide receiver three. Might have even thrown him in the top 24. But I guess the thing is, you know, still looking at that performance last week, it was great. But we also have Alan Lazard getting, what was it, 14, 15 targets? Okay, I'm sorry. It was just 11 targets. I guess I'm remembering the Thursday night game a little bit more fondly. But it really still is an offense that does have another you know maybe he's not 1a these days maybe you do want to call Lazard the 1b but it's not fully going to Christian Watson so are we looking at someone that is going to consistently be you know the must start fantasy asset that he has been for the past two weeks or do you think it's a level off just a little bit um I think we'll continue to rank him in that top 36 wide receivers each week at the very least but I think he can have a few weeks where he might not do quite as good and you'll be disappointed that you had him in your lineup but we also know the Packers offense is capable of having great performances, even though we haven't seen many of them so far this season. So in those games, Watson could have a lot more points than you would expect him to. So I think he'll have a decent range of outcomes, but I think on average, he'll be in that top 30 or so. I have Watson right now as my wide receiver, 25 after checking the old rankings. So behind guys like Gabriel Davis, Brandon Ayo, Keenan Allen, Devontae Smith, who I think will probably have similar workloads more weeks than not. But let's face it, the Packers offense, I'm not willing to go quite as far as saying Aaron Rodgers is completely washed. I mean, yes, it was probably his worst performance of the year in that Thursday night game. But, you know, literally... Less than a week before that, we saw the best performance of uh, the year against the Cowboys. So, I, you know, one of these things where I know we tend to be, you know, victims of the moment, you know, 60 minutes tends to define, you know, one guy versus the entire season, but wouldn't get totally carried away with Watson here. Not someone you need to be starting, especially on a week with all these buys. But, hey, a boomer bust wide receiver, like, yeah, they can bust, but those booms can win you weeks. Watson's been doing a lot of that in recent ones. Next up, we have Browns wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones on quite the hot streak. I believe seven straight games now with at least 50 receiving yards, and he's gone over 60 in six of those contests, even managed to find the end zone for the first time all season. And I mentioned it before in that she section, like these are not easy catches DPJ is making. The guy is littering now just highlights all over the place each and every week out there. And once again, still only owned a 38.1% of leagues. And Nate, for me, 
it's awesome that we've seen DPJ go out here and provide consistent like wide receiver three value with Jacoby Brissett under center. But we all know just a matter of time until Deshaun Watson is back. And one of the things I tweeted out last week was just the fantasy points per game allowed to opposing wide receivers and just looking at specifically the playoff schedules, weeks 15, 16, and 17, to try to see what offenses we should be targeting for the stretch run. And again, at wide receiver, the top five offenses here in terms of the easiest strength of schedule and the fantasy playoffs, the Ravens, the Texans, the Packers, we just talked about Christian Watson, the Browns and the Panthers. So obviously Baltimore, Houston, Carolina, we have questions about, you know, the quarterbacks and the actual passing game upside available there, but Cleveland and Green Bay, man, again, based on these end of season schedules, sure seems like Watson and DPJ could be some big time players. I mean, I'm old enough to remember, Nate, the days when Will Fuller was making absolute bank as a fantasy asset out there as Deshaun Watson field stretcher. Sure seems like that's a role Dog Peoples Jones is heading for down the stretch. Oh, uh, yeah, it's certainly within the range of possibilities. Jacoby Brissett has been playing a lot better than I think a lot of us have thought he would so far this season. Um, I think top 12 in terms of PFF grade so far this year. So he's been playing very well. So there is still room for improvement there. If Watson can be the same quarterback that he was uh, two plus years ago, he was consistently a top five fantasy quarterback. But he hasn't played in a year and a half, so there is a possibility that it'll take him some time. It might be a little bit harder to trust him, and DPJ could have some down weeks because of that, but there's still that range of outcomes where he could really start scoring touchdowns. That's been the main thing holding him back. He finally scored his one, but ideally he could have a game or two where he's scoring one or two touchdowns to go along with the 60-plus receiving yards, so it just makes things a wider range of outcomes where right now he's been very consistently getting 60 yards and no touchdowns. I was fully expecting Jacoby to be the problem with this Browns team this year if they weren't going to really be able to be 500 or maybe even above 500 without Watson in the picture has been the opposite. You could not have hoped for Jacoby to play better than he has really throughout these first 11, first 11 weeks of the season. The Browns have the 10th ranked scoring offense in the league. The problem is their defense has really fallen off a cliff and they rank 30th in scoring. So I know Garrett had to deal with the car crash and coming back from that. Denzel Ward missed a chunk of time with a concussion. They've had injuries all over the place, but whatever the problem, the defense really has been the primary culprit for this three and seven Browns starts. We will see what Watson can bring back here in just a few weeks nate our quarterback edition though of the week is going to be raiders signal caller Derek carr coming off a two touchdown 300 plus yard performance and as you bring up in your waiver column a lot of people were probably tired of you know going through with the whole car experience earlier in this year weren't getting much fancy upside this week in seattle against a pass defense that has improved but more than anything this is a sort of game script that we can be hoping to really get behind with the seahawks being favored and the raiders looking you know Credit to them for beating the Broncos last week, but I don't think this is a team, you know, necessarily kidding themselves these days about being a legitimate contender in the AFC. Would it make sense that this could be one of the more sneaky shootouts of the week? Oh, uh, yeah, and I can understand fantasy managers being down on him with Darren Waller on injured reserve, with Hunter Renfro on injured reserve. So they've gone through a lot of problems, but I put him here specifically because of this matchup this upcoming week against Seattle. Uh, Seattle's been con pretty consistently allowing fantasy points to quarterbacks recently. Um, a lot of two touchdown games these last couple weeks. So I think Carr can be a fantasy starter specifically this week if you're looking for one for whatever reason. Did see Brady and company get right to an extent against this very secondary a couple of weeks ago in Munich. So we will see if Carr can keep things going. At the end of the day, I mean, you got Devontae Adams out there. We know pretty much nobody out there can't guard this guy these days. So even if most of the production is going through Devontae, hey, it adds up after a while. Finally, our top five and final recommended waiver wire edition of the week is going to be Bill's tight end Dawson Knox starting to come on strong again Nate someone that really a lot of people I, I wouldn't say wrote off after last season but he was kind of the poster child for like okay the touchdowns aren't going to be there quite as often this year and let's face it they really haven't been only two scores through 11 weeks that said over these past few games seven targets and six targets he's getting 57 and 70 yards we know how weak the tight end position is, and a few of those guys that we could trust have now gotten injured. Hell, even the guys we couldn't trust, like Kyle Pitts, are also injured. So Dawson Knox, Nate, at the end of the day, he's a near every down player and one of the best off 
offenses in the league. We're going to have some duds because what tight end doesn't have duds that isn't named Travis Kelsey out there, at least with Dawson Knox, we can rely more so on the offensive environment than pretty much any other tight end we're going to be finding here on the waiver wire. Oh yeah. Like I was surprised to see him available in one of my leagues, but I can understand people slowly starting to not trust him after everything he's done so far this season. But like you said, he's been picking things up these past two weeks. Um, 127 receiving yards, which is the second most for tight end in that period of time. And he has a fairly favorable matchup against the Lions on Thanksgiving. So I'm definitely willing to give him another chance, especially considering all of the tight ends that are injured right now. So I was doing my rest of season rankings and it was just guys kept moving up and up and up at the tight end position, not because of anything that they were doing, just because all these other tight ends were moving down and those teams didn't really have anything to replace them. Great stuff there, Nate. Again, our top five waiver wire editions of the week, and you can find all these notes in Nate's wonderful PFF.com waiver wire articles. Chiefs running back Isaiah Pacheco, Packers wide receiver Christian Watson, Browns wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones, Raiders quarterback Derek Carr specifically for this week, and finally Bills tight end Dawson Knox. So quickly, just before we get to our positional breakdowns, I did want to take a chance and go through what I mentioned before. Again, those top playoff schedules for weeks 15 to 17. Just going to quickly list out the best ones. We're not going to worry about the worst ones as much. And you can find these on my Twitter at iHeartits. I sent it out on November 16th. Best fantasy football schedules for the fantasy playoffs. So at quarterback, again, we can't use all these because we know even great matchups can't always bring out, you know, good and a bad quarterback otherwise. But the number four, I'm sorry, number three fantasy football playoff schedule for quarterbacks is going to be the San Francisco 49ers in weeks 15 to 17. So we saw last night in Mexico City what Jimmy G can do with all these weapons. And that is exist between getting the snap and getting really freaking good football players the ball. And maybe just maybe Jimmy G isn't half bad himself. So Jimmy G and to only a slightly lesser extent, Kenny Pickett popping as the quarterbacks with the most fantasy friendly playoff schedule. So I I get it. If you're in the championship, hopefully you have a quarterback better than Jimmy G or Kenny Pickett in the first place to help get you there. God forbid you've had some injuries going on there. You've been streaming along the way, though. I do believe Jimmy G and Kenny Pickett will be the top two quarterbacks to stash in advance of the fantasy playoffs. At running back, top five matchups, the Chiefs. Yeah, Isaiah Pacheco. There's a reason why he's the number one waiver wire at this week, guys. Also have the Jets, Saints, Steelers, and Titans. So I know a lot of those backfields are already figured out. Unfortunately, we got, you know, handcuffed, the guy we've been talking about for really months at this point, Jalen Warren, now dealing with a hamstring injury in Pittsburgh. So the only real potential advantage is here, I would say, keep an eye on not only the Chiefs, Jarek McKinnon, it is a two running back backfield right now. God forbid Ronald Jones doesn't get brought up to the active roster. Maybe Jarek is only one injury away to Pacheco now from having that same every down role he had down the stretch of last year. So don't forget about McKinnon. And with the Jets, it's annoying as hell right now. Michael Carter's leading the way, but not in an every down manner. We still have James Robinson and Ty Johnson. Just realize, again, one injury from it being a more feasible two running back committee. And if we do see a change made from Zach Wilson to a Joe Flacco or a Mike White, We've seen both those quarterbacks be far more willing to check the ball down, and that would seemingly be right through Michael Carter's, right up his wheelhouse, I should say, down the stretch. So again, these last three matchups, 22nd, 24th, and 26th ranked defense is in PPR points per game allowed the position. Don't sleep on those Jets running backs, especially if we get a quarterback change doing some good things down the stretch. I mentioned before Packers and Browns receivers really standing out um, at wide receiver and tight end. Another guy, Nate, just looking again at that final stretch here, Tyler Conklin, easily the best schedule in weeks 15 to 17. And he's someone we've actually seen have these top three finishes throughout the season. So I get it. When Zach Wilson is under center, nothing is guaranteed in New York, but sure doesn't sound like that's going to be a given for this week, let alone what it could be here in about a month. So Tyler Conklin, Trey McBride, and Yes, that's actually the only two basically we're focusing on down the stretch. And finally, Nate, look at me embracing the defenses. And I love defenses. Kickers, that pissed me off. No, I did not do any sort of scheduling for kickers. But if you are into that kind of thing, Chargers, Raiders, Chiefs, Vikings, and Giants have the easiest schedules in weeks 15 to 17 at the defensive position. That's based on the offenses they will be facing. So with all that in mind, Nate, let's get back to our regularly scheduled programming and go through some of these positions. Starting off with quarterback, again, we mentioned Derek Carr, but he is owned in 56.1% of ESPN League. So after him, 
continue to keep an eye on Deshaun Watson. If he is still available in your league, now is the time to get him and to stash him. Still only owned in 35.9% of ESPN formats. So to Nate's point, it's one of those things where we'll have, you know, a little bit of caution going forward. But I kind of view Watson, Nate, similar to his old teammate, DeAndre Hopkins, where like the first week, okay, we'll probably have Watson, you know, more on that QB1 borderline. Let's make sure he's still the same guy. We're only going to need 60 minutes of evidence before we get that dude right back into the upside QB1 conversation, though. Is that kind of how you're anticipating treating Watson once he is finally back for that matchup against the Texans? Oh, yeah. I think get him in for those first two weeks, and they really aren't the greatest matchups. Both teams, the Texans and the Bengals, are the first two that I'll face. Both are in the top five in preventing fantasy points to quarterbacks. So I'd not only wait those first 60 minutes, but see if he doesn't have the greatest start, still hold on to him, wait another week or two. And then at that point, I know at that point, we're getting to the fantasy playoffs. So you're really deciding if you're trusting him or not, but it even might take a week or two or three before he starts seeing those fantasy points that you were seeing two or three years ago. Next up, we do have Jimmy Garoppolo. Again, mentioned just how tantalizing that playoff schedule stretch is appearing for the guy. And to Jimmy's credit, I mean, I was I'll talk about this in my quarterback article that you guys will see tomorrow on PFF.com. But since 2017, among all quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks, Jimmy G's ranking yards per attempt, first tied for ninth, third tied for ninth, second, and he's fourth this season. I get it. Yards per attempt isn't the one be-all stat to, you know, decide quarterback production, but I think it's a good one. And when Jimmy G continuously ranks in the top 10 in it, maybe just maybe the guy is pretty good himself. So, yes, he is number one in the league in yards per attempt on passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage or under 10 yards. So we're seeing a whole lot of yak being made out of that. But, again, it's one of those things where I guess it's just also the primetime social media discourse and all that going on. But maybe Jimmy G isn't a top five quarterback, but maybe he's also still pretty damn good at football is that reasonable i don't know i guess you can't be have that lukewarm of a take in the year 2022 but nate at least for this week i know we prefer Derek carr and just looking at the 49ers they are facing a saints team that you know we have we could see get a little healthier if marshawn Lattimore does forever come back but after this week dolphins buccaneers seahawks commanders raiders down the stretch Jimmy G, we're not getting anything on the ground. Again, I would hope that you guys are entering the fantasy playoffs with someone like Jalen Hurst, Justin Herbert, someone you can trust more. But I wouldn't be surprised, Nate, if we do see Jimmy G slowly but surely becoming more of a consistent low-end QB1 down the stretch. Oh, yeah. Like you said, the matchups in the playoffs are great. The matchups heading into the fantasy playoffs are also very good. So he should be in that conversation of top 12 fantasy quarterback basically each week over the rest of the season. So. I think he's definitely someone you can trust, uh, especially at this point of the year when there's only, I think, eight teams left on bye weeks over these next three weeks. I start to stash a couple of people that I'm like, I don't want anyone else in my league to be able to have this player, even if I don't need him. So someone that I'd be looking at to add to my roster. Man, I was doing my uh, quarterback rankings last night. And you're right. He already is in the conversation because I think after the first Man, like, okay, it might right now my quarterback ranks just for this week. Josh Allen, Mahomes, Hurts, Tua, Fields. You know, we'll see if he's able to be out there. Herbert, Burrow, Lamar. Okay, we're feeling really good about those eight. I, you know, venture to guess those are going to be the majority of people's top eight quarterbacks. And then there might be another little tier, you know, our Brady, Geno, Dak Prescott. After that, Nate, you can look at the next like 10 or 12 quarterbacks and start to kind of wrap your minds around any of them being up there. Personally, I do have, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Daniel Jones right there before Jimmy, but still a top 15 signal caller this week. And it takes me back to, I think, just one of my biggest overall takeaways of this season. It's that maybe we or me, especially, uh, just a little overconfident in our ability to kind of discern the overall difference in a lot of these middling quarterbacks versus the bad quarterbacks. I mean, even guys like Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, like they just shouldn't have been going so many rounds after the guys that we thought were just going to be better, like your, like your Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins. So similar to our argument for why we were fading Dalton Schultz at cost, it wasn't really because of where he was position-wise. Dalton Schultz was the tight end 5 ADP, and that's where we consensusly had him as well. The bigger issue for us was like, hey, why take Dalton Schultz in round five or round six? We can get Dallas Goddard in round eight. I think that was the big lesson to learn over there at quarterback. But final point here is going to be Kenny Pickett, still just 7.2% owned him. 
as much as I am still a little bit upset at the guy for causing yet another one of my freaking helicopters to crash, Nate, we did start to see a couple progressions from him. I mean, damn, I talked enough about that George Pickens 49-yard touchdown drop. That was a beautiful throw. And this was against the Bengals' pass defense that I do think has benefited from a pretty soft schedule, even when you start going through the quarterbacks they faced. I understand we're entering week 12, so at this point, what does it really matter? But it was a good performance. And a week before that, Saints defense that hasn't been great this year, but still, you know, notoriously over the years, pretty well-coached group. So Kenny Pickett mentioned before him and Jimmy G do have the easiest fantasy playoff schedules of reasonable quarterbacks we can get behind. And he didn't even show off some of the rushing upside we have already seen a little bit here uh, in the early parts of his career, Nate. So overall thoughts on Kenny Pickett moving forward. Um, Yeah, like I constantly want to keep someone on this list who is available in the vast majority of leagues and Pickett's always by far the top guy that's still available in over 90% of leagues over at ESPN. Um, He has that rushing production. He's top 10 in rushing attempts, rushing yards since he's become a starting quarterback. Uh, Like you said, that easy schedule. So not someone that I'm looking to start over this next month or so, but someone that could, if he continues to get a little bit better and a little bit better, um, as we've said, every week still has that talent around him that he can do very well if he can start living up to his potential even more. Colts, Falcons, Ravens, Panthers, Raiders, and Ravens down the stretch here for Pickett. Not too shabby at all. So again, Derek Carr, our top waiver wire edition of the week if you need a starter for this week. But Deshaun Watson is someone that will be back sooner rather than later. Don't be afraid to stash him right now. And if you have the luxury of looking ahead to the fantasy playoffs and you are going to be in need of a quarterback, Jimmy G and Kenny Pickett, most likely streamers that are going to be available and will have good matchups when you need them the most. Moving on to running back, Nate, we already talked about Isaiah Pacheco. Again, only owned in 43.2% of ESPN leagues. Takes us to a next guy that maybe is going a little bit under the radar because the Buccaneers are coming off a bye. But Rashad White still only owned in 34.5% of ESPN leagues. So this one's a little bit interesting because we saw him get the start before the bye. We also saw Leonard Fournette injure his hip. However, we have learned that the Fournette injury not considered serious. I am tentatively expecting him to suit up this week. So... Even if White keeps a starting job, which has been murmured and reported loosely by the, you know, Tampa Bay beat, I'm just not sure Fournette's going to be completely out of the picture or anything like that. So at that point, we start to kind of get almost like a Najee Harris situation where we have inefficient rushers. And yes, that does include Rashad White. Fournette hasn't been much better, but Rashad White, both these guys, the entire Tampa Bay run game, guys, has been terrible all season long. So we have a situation where Rashad White, I would project him to be the leader this week. I did rank him ahead of Leonard Fournette. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if that lead is of the 55, 45, 60, 40 variety over Fournette. How are you feeling about Rashad White this week and beyond it? Um, yeah, I agree with you this week, probably 55 to 60% of the offensive snaps. Um, it's really this week, he very well might not be a fantasy starter just because we aren't with any teams with bye weeks. But going forward, there is a chance that he can go beyond 55 and 60 if he puts together a good game or two that could go up to 70 or 75, which we've seen from Tampa Bay running backs before. Um, Only other concern that's uh, probably good to bring up is Giovanni Bernard did come or is on the injured reserve designated to return list now. So he has over these next three weeks, the possibility of joining the active roster again, Um, going way back to the preseason. He was a clear number two running back in the preseason before he got injured. So there's a chance that with how ineffective this run game has been so far, they could at least try to give Bernard a chance and that could definitely hinder White's fantasy potential. We can live at two running back committees. Once it gets to three or four, it gets a lot more complicated. I will say with Giovanni Bernard, I mean, he played the first two games of the season only on special teams, and we saw Rashad White have that pretty clear number two role. But again, for him to get injured that early in the season, they haven't exactly seen Rashad White or Leonard Fournette run away with that job. Wouldn't it be shocking to see Gio go out there and maybe maybe not get like a featured role, Nate, but even if he comes in and just takes like only the two-minute offense, that would be enough to complicate things and keep uh, Rashad White and Fournette respectively 
a little bit lower in the ranks. But to Nate's original point, not a must start for this week. I have Rashad White as my RB29 behind guys like Deontay Foreman, Cordero Patterson, even Zeke, Miles Sanders, who I'm just more confident are going to be leading their backfield in a major way, you know, in Zeke's case more so, just having the chance to fall into the end zone a few times. But yeah, I'd still start Rashad White over guys like Kenya Drake, you know, Brian Robinson, Kareem Hunt. So far from useless this week, but not exactly a locked in must start guy as long as we still think Leonard Fournette could be involved. Also have Samaj P. Ryan, another backup running back, seemingly getting a chance to start now, Nate. We'll see if Joe Mixon can clear the concussion protocol in less than a week. But usually with these concussions, once they're diagnosed, I expect them to miss at least a week. So Samaj P. Ryan only owned 3.6% of leagues, and we cannot predict Injuries, Nate, but we did predict before and we went through all the handcuffs that Samaj Piran was someone that people, if they had the bench room, could go after. Because, again, it just ha has been one of those things throughout the year where when you look at the top 10, top 12 running backs in fantasy, Samaj Piran has consistently been one of the handcuffs out there that's available in far more leagues than not. So I believe the three we listed were Piran, Jalen Warren, and Matt Breida, who happened to find the end zone himself last week. So keep an eye on Breida. God forbid something happens to Saquon Barkley. Unfortunately, Jalen Warren now dealing with his own hamstring injury. But talk about your expectations for Samaje Pirine uh, this week. Nate, should Joe Mixon be out? And the only other thing I'll add is that Chris Evans did miss last week with a knee injury. So keep a small eye on that. But I think either way, we can project Pirine for 15-plus touches. And in this Cincy offense, that's going to be a, that's gonna mean a lot of fantasy points. Oh, uh, yeah. Believe it or not, I with these waiver articles on a Saturday, I kind of go through and write who I think I'm going to be writing about. And P. Ryan made the list for the first time this season before the injury even happened. Hey. Okay, this is a decent handcuff. And then I saw him score the touchdown, and I'm like, okay, I'm probably definitely writing about him now. And, and he then, scored another touchdown, and then another touchdown. <laughs> but unfortunately, the mix-in injury happened, so P. Ryan uh, shot up this list. I do think he will be the clear starter. Chris Evans, for as talented as we think he is, um, he's only been playing a couple snaps each game, so... I, if he's healthy, I definitely expect him to be the number two running back, but I don't think he will see that many touches throughout the game. So I think from volume alone, uh, P. Ryan can be a fantasy starter specifically for this week. But from that point, it's, he's also someone that's worth holding on to as a handcuff as you start to get to a point where um, the bye weeks are getting done. If you don't need a backup quarterback or backup wide receivers or tight end then I think it's fine to start stashing a couple of these handcuff running backs just in case something happens. So even beyond this week, I think it's fine to leave him at the bottom of your bench uh, just in case uh, this mixing thing lasts longer than we expect or if he sees another injury. Already pissed off at the coming circus that's going to happen this Friday when I'm trying to look up more injury information on Chris Evans and I have to deal with that stupid actor hogging up all the Twitter stuff instead. I shouldn't be hating on actor Chris Evans. I just watched the classic Not Another Teen movie uh, last week with the fiance Nate and some very good football scenes. I would argue Not Another Teen movie has more realistic football scenes than Remember the Titans. And you can quote me on that PFF social media guy. But realistically, Chris Evans, look, I have seen the past work even split out as a wide receiver it was evident as a rookie and we've even seen flashes of that this season and for him to have be a 200 plus pound running back and have that ability that's why he was a popular you know round 18 best ball pick throughout the summer but tangible on field evidence of him working ahead of Pirine has just never been there we haven't had a game with both these backups where Mixon was completely out of the picture Another example, guys, of maybe not, you know, holding on to the whole injury-prone label because this time last year, I should say, before last season, Mixon was supposed to just be the guy that you draft and then gets hurt after week one. Hasn't been the case for each of the past two years until now, obviously. So maybe not the best time to bring that up. But anyway, uh, in the one game we had last year where Mixon was playing through the pain, he was on a pitch count against the Packers. I mean, it was Pirine, 61% snaps versus 10% for Evans. The carries were 11-0 in favor of Pirine. The targets were in favor of Pirine, five versus two. In week 18 last season, when they were resting their starters, Pirine rested right there alongside uh, Joe Mixon. So even in that game, man, it was actually pretty evenly split between Chris Evans and Travion Williams, who is actually their RB4. So as much as we like the idea of Chris Evans, I still think this will be Samaj Piran's backfield, regardless of if he is healthy enough to suit up. So 
Not the easiest matchup of the week in terms of the ground. This is the Titans defense, second best in the NFL in yards before contact, allowed per carry. But nobody has allowed more targets and receptions to opposing running backs than the Titans this season. I think I might have said the Texans there before. So my bad on that. Either way, we saw the three receiving touchdowns last week. And just being, again, a key cog in the Bengals offense, that's going to be enough to get P. Ryan in more starting lineups than not here for this week. I have him as my RB19, Nate, which feels low, but again, I I think it's more so just a circumstance of so many teams being on a, or I'm sorry, having no teams on by to worry about this week. Where do you have Piran ranked if Mixon is going to miss this one? I think it'll be right around 20 for this upcoming okay. week. Yeah, right there. I do have him slightly ahead of guys like Dave Montgomery, Devin Singletary, because I do trust the Bengals offense a little more than I do the Bears and Singletary. While he has been running a little hot with those touchdowns, we do know Josh Allen loves to get his own number called near the goal line. Next up, we do have Ravens running back Gus Edwards, still only owned in 46% of ESPN leagues. So at this point, it is a pretty big drop off in terms of what we can expect from these running backs moving forward. Pacheco, Rashad White, Samaj Piran, those are your big three waiver runners running backs you're going to want for week 12 and beyond and we do have a slight drop off here but that said sometimes we need touches injuries happen and Gus Edwards seems to be on the way back I mean I thought he was going to be able to sit up last week following their bye just wasn't quite ready I guess the only concern here Nate is the reality that this Baltimore Ravens offense it just goes so much through Lamar Jackson that we don't see the other parties involved get to eat all that much I mean Ravens running backs as a whole this year just 28th in total carries, dead last in targets. So, hey, Gus Edwards, he comes back. We've seen him get 12 to 15 carries pretty consistently. And when he can fall to the end zone once or twice, you're going to be talking about a guy that you're happy you started. But Gus Edwards, Nate, even if he's healthy this week, not going to be someone cracking our top 24. Oh, yeah, probably not in the top 24. I know the Ravens run game hasn't been great this season, but Edwards does have two of the best games for the Ravens this season in terms of risk carries and rushing yards. And those were the two games that he's played this season. So I think we just need to get him healthy and I don't know when that will happen, but they do have a fairly good schedule come the fantasy playoffs. So not someone you need for this upcoming week, but someone that could help you down the stretch. Hoping that we see this Ravens offense get back into that groove. Hopefully that schedule is able to do it. But guys, it really has been a drop off since those first three weeks of the season. I was out there tweeting, you know, a lot MVP as well. And it looked great. 24, 38, 37 points in their first three games. Just 21.3 points per game, though, in weeks four to 11. So hasn't quite been the same Ravens offense we've seen, you know, at its peak. But plenty of time to hopefully get back to that. Quickly, Tyler Algier still only owned 47.4% of leagues, much so in the same Gus Edwards side of things where, hey, he has 11, 11, and nine touches over the past three games. And last week, Caleb Huntley, only 4% of the snaps. So again, we can live with these two running back backfields to an extent. That said, Marcus Mariota, with some of those dual threat tendencies, we're not getting many targets to the position, and we're still seeing Cordero Patterson, even some weeks Mariota, get more of the rushing work. So Tyler Algier, not someone you're going to need to be jamming in your starting lineups, but if you need a start, he can give you some carries. I think the more interesting guy to talk about here, Nate, is going to be Latavius Murray, the new Broncos RB1, now that Melvin Gordon is out of the picture for fumbling the ball too many times and just not being that great this season. That said, Latavius Murray also hasn't exactly been great this season. Who has been great this season in the Broncos offense? Spoiler, absolutely nobody. That's what happens when you lose your best wide receiver, Tim Patrick, in the summer. But 46 in yards per carry at 3.6, Latavius Murray, dead last in yards after contact per carry. I mean, when you're supposed to be this bruiser veteran early down back and you're dead last in yards after contact per carry, Nate, he's breaking tackles. Okay. His PFF rushing grade isn't bad, but man, are we really getting behind Latavius Murray here? I just, even we need to see if he has the role. And, you know, we were talking before the show, Nate, hell, if you had 20 plus touches per week, somehow coming your way, I probably wouldn't start you, but I at least have to consider it. You know, getting that sort of volume is going to mean a lot and solve, check a lot of those boxes at running back overall thoughts on Latavius Murray this week and how confident you are that he can actually take over this backfield. Uh, to be fair, the Broncos were cursed after what they did to Albert O, more so than Tim Patrick. <laughs> so that's the real problem here. But um, the concern that I have with Murray is in this past game before Chase Edmonds suffered his injury that he's expected to be out at least for a couple weeks now. Um, Edmonds played before Murray, so it seemed like the Broncos were ready to have Chase Edmonds become a larger part of the offense and have Murray be a smaller part of the offense. So um, I'm concerned about Murray because of that. 
Murray, I do expect at least this week to be the clear early down back. I think Marlon Mack will at least be involved. I think Dean Ozigbo um, will probably be the third down back because the other two guys definitely aren't third down backs and someone has to play on third downs. But uh, Mike Boone uh, is eligible to come off of injured reserve after this upcoming game. So I think this will at least stay a two-man backfield similar to what it was before the Chase Edmonds trade. So um, I think he's probably going to be just this borderline um, somewhere in the 24 to 30 range at least for the next couple weeks. But I could see it being less than that, more so than more than that, as they go back to more of a two or three back committee just with different players. This feels like the trap of the, you know, kind of waiver wire running back selection of the week. Pacheco, White, Pirine, love them. Man, even Gus Edwards, I'm almost tempted to take ahead of Latavius Murray rest of the season. But again, if you need 10 or 15 touches, Latavius can probably give you those. The problem is he's giving you those in the single worst scoring offense in the NFL. One more group I want to round out running back with before we fly through wide receiver and tight end a little bit more quickly, but the Rams backfield, Nate, we continue to have little to no idea what's going on, but it does continue to move on a week-to-week basis. And when I say that, it's because Daryl Henderson started last week. He had two carries in the first two plays of the game. He gained nine yards, okay? After that, he was on the field for third down. They did a little fly sweep screen thing. You know, just he wasn't involved in the play. He had one other snap the rest of the game where he also just, he ran a swing route, no pressure. He did not blow a pass blocking assignment, didn't fumble. No injury seemingly happened. And he proceeded not to play in the rest of the freaking 45, 50 minutes of the entire game. So, Sean McVay, we know, hasn't necessarily been the biggest fan of Daryl Henderson over the years, and that just seemed to be a new low. For the life of me, I just I have no idea how Daryl Henderson started. Like, if you're not going to play him, just don't play the guy. I, I just don't know what he did out there to seemingly warrant the benching. That said, it happened, and at the end of the day, Cam Akers led the way with 14 carries, but we also saw Kyron Williams lead the way in terms of snaps at 55% had seven carries and one target in his own right. So if it is down to Kyron Williams and Cam Akers, only those two, maybe we can start to, you know, get these guys back into the RB3 conversation. Nate, I just struggle to fully believe Henderson's completely out of the picture or that either Williams or Akers are going to be taken over. Hey, down the stretch though, God forbid it's taken 11 weeks. We haven't seen any of it so far that McVay's finally just settled on a running back. If he does finally say, you know what? I'm done with this. Kyron, it's yours. Or Cam Akers, it's yours. That could be a pretty valuable fantasy back down the stretch. Will it happen? I don't know. But we at least seemingly are watching Henderson fall out of favor. Kyron or Cam Akers, one more running back getting on McVay's bad side away from finally being someone viable we can get behind in Los Angeles, perhaps. Um, Yeah, I did finally later on Monday see a tweet about um, Henderson uh tweaking something or feeling okay. like something wasn't a hundred percent. So we finally got an answer to why I'm Henderson not, I'm not happy never, he got hurt Nate, yeah. but I am happy that there's at least some rational reason to explain that uh, for yeah. life of me. I cannot figure it out. Since like I was on Sunday when I'm writing these recap articles that go up as fast as I can after the games on a Sunday, I had to put up the film and see, okay, did something happen to him on his four snaps that, and like nothing happened that we could see at least. So it's at least good to have some kind of explanation, but they did take him out for the second drive. We're already ready to rotate Akers and Williams in. So if Henderson is okay, then this is just something to avoid at this point. I know I've been talking about Kyron Williams as someone to potentially stash, but they did typically use him in passing situations and Cam Akers on rushing situations. So even if something is up with Henderson, then Williams was used in ways that aren't great for fantasy football purposes. So I find if you want to drop or drop Williams after picking him up, but in deeper leagues, when there is no one on the waiver wire, I'm still fine picking him up in those very deep leagues. Since most of the other guys that we've talked about are owned in at least 20% of leagues where Williams is a little bit more readily available, but it's a mess in Los Angeles and probably one to avoid. Final RB note, backup Bills running back James Cook still only owned a 20.8% of ESPN leagues, and for good reason. That said, it's now been, what, three weeks with Naeem Hines in the picture, and the only thing he's done is take Duke Johnson's kick return job, which really does piss me off, Nate. But he has not come in and really made this backfield a three 
prong committee. It could always happen. You know, every player, I guess, takes a different time to learn the playbook and all that. But I think the important thing to see with James Cook, I mean, especially last week, he had 11 carries for 86 yards, and those weren't even garbage time. I mean, previously in the year, he had been the guy where, okay, Bills are up 30 or 40, go ahead and run out the rest of the fourth quarter or whatever. But no Zach Moss. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to let the use all-time lead and rusher factor into this equation too heavily. If something happens to Devin Singletary, I'm not saying we'd be crossing out Singletary's name and putting James Cook there, but in terms of the handcuff that happened in Buffalo, all arrows do seem to be pointing to James Cook at the moment. Oh, yeah, Cook definitely had a great performance. I was a little surprised to see his playing time really didn't go up at all. It was just whenever he was on the field, they were trying to get him the ball, which is definitely good to see for him going forward. They did uh, get Hines on the field a little bit more, even though it didn't lead to more touches. So I could also see Hines continuing to get worked in a little bit more on the offense. So that's why Cook isn't higher on this list. But there's definitely a chance that Cook could start seeing more of a closer to 50-50 with Singletary at some point if he continues to play this well. But even at that point, it's hard to trust him just because Buffalo loves to pass the ball so much. Quick shout out to some of our lovely sponsors before we keep on going. The PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, plan to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Also, folks, we have DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. And check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code PFF. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150. $50 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with Code PFF. Cannot wait to get in on this myself, guys. I will be using Code PFF once it is all legalized here in Ohio. But shout out to DraftKings Sportsbook, you know, as someone that did have some of my over bets canceled by, you know, various people out there in the world that maybe are, you know, not exactly doing things most legally with the sports betting. That's just between all of us. Yeah, I freaking try to bet over when the game gets moved to Detroit and they get canceled because the books hold all the powers. Not DraftKings. Though, if you were lucky enough to get that overbet placed when the Bills game got moved to Detroit, DraftKings honored it and did end up paying out their customers. So, cool move by DraftKings. Again, you can get $150 in free bets by just placing a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game using promo code PFF. Also, Nate, gotta give a shout out to our lovely friends over at Sleeper. You know, despite my lackluster fantasy squad in the PFF Fantasy League, I still continue to love their app, Redraft Dynasty. Again, just a great place. So many customizable settings and just a really cool community out there. I mean, I think their ability just on in the palm of your hand on the phone, having the easy league chat, uh, just settings and stuff. I feel more like, I mean, my God, Nate, I'm sure you have some okay, I won't trash other apps. We can just talk about how good Sleeper is. But certain times out there, I can't even find like the standings in my league and this other stuff. And I really think I've been playing fantasy football long enough to not be that complete of an idiot. But hey, sometimes you're out there and it really is made that hard by other apps. Not Sleeper though. And our Sleeper segment of the day is going to be our top waiver wire edition of the week. So we already talked about Isaiah Pacheco and the potential for Rashad White and Samaje Pirine to give us some temporary goodness as well. But I really think it is in this wide receiver range, Nate, that we're going to see, other than Pacheco, the most consistent goodness going forward. Again, Christian Watson still available in 44% of ESPN leagues. George Pickens still available in 38% of leagues. Donovan Peoples-Jones, 61.9% of ESPN leagues. He is still available. So if you're looking for guys that, hey, maybe you don't need a starter this week. The squad's already looking good. No buys to worry about. Christian Watson, George Pickens and Donovan Peoples-Jones might just be your best bets for prolonged success for the rest of the season. And with that, Nate, let's continue to pick it up in this wide receiver conversation with Titans rookie wide receiver Traylon Burks. One of my favorite stats I had rolling throughout the first 10 weeks or first nine weeks of the season was that the Titans were the only NFL team without a single instance of one of their wide receivers putting forward a top 24 PPR fantasy finish. 
Nick Westbrook Akini got it done in week 10. And Traylon Burks with over 100 yards against the Packers got it done in week 11. We've had a lot of stats flying around about, oh, look, it actually took A.J. Brown a while to get going as a rookie as well. No, we don't need to compare Traylon Brooks to A.J. Brown at every single turn out there. But, hey, he is a rookie wide receiver that has been banged up. And an offense with a quarterback who's been banged up, it would make sense, Nate, if the best days of Traylon Brooks are still to come. Oh, yeah. He, in the first half, caught six passes for 60 yards, which was already career high in receiving. And then right at the end of the game, caught that 51-yard bomb when Tennessee just needed to run out the clock. But he got those 51 yards and cost me some money on DraftKings, but I have forgiven him at this point about it. Um, but he's almost always on the field uh, when they're in three wide receiver sets now, which is good to see. Starting to see a little bit more playing time in two receiver sets. And then Tennessee, they don't have the best schedule out of all the wide receivers going forward, but it is an above average schedule for wide receivers. So there's definitely a chance that he could take advantage of some good opponents going forward and help some teams in the fantasy playoffs. It's just it's nice having a passing game like back in the NFL that we can somewhat trust. I mean, from weeks four to nine, the Titans didn't have a single game with even 140, 140 passing yards. They couldn't get there in weeks four to nine, 244 and 320 yards passing over the past two weeks. Great day to be great in Tennessee. Also, next five wide receivers you have in your waiver wire article, Nate. Odo Beckham still only owned in 29.5% of ESPN leagues. Demarcus Robinson coming off that 100-yard performance, just that point six. Darius Slayton, 20.5%. Now the unquestioned number one, seemingly, with the Giants after Wandale Robinson got ruled out for the season with that torn ACL. Sucks to see after he had such a great performance in Week 11. Mac Hollins at 9.5%, still really holding up as the clear-cut number two in Las Vegas with Hunter Renfro and Waller out of the picture. Maybe just maybe, you know, someone I know you've been on for a long time, Corey Davis, coming back from that injury soon. God forbid we get a quarterback change and we could see something happen there. Out of that group, Nate, OBJ is someone that we're still not expecting to sign until next week or later. But that said, looking at the rest of the season outlook, OBJ, Demarcus Robinson, Darius Slayton, Mac Hollins, Corey Davis, who would you most want to have on your squad the rest of the way out of this list? I personally would probably lean towards Darius Slayton based on what he's been able to do here and the newfound opportunity without Wando. Uh, yeah, the one thing I'd mention is with Demarcus Robinson, the Ravens play the Falcons and the Steelers in week 16 and 17. Those are the two teams that have allowed the most fantasy points to wide receivers this season. So mm. I don't know if Robinson will stay the number one wide receiver option in Baltimore between now and then, but whoever is that top guy in Baltimore those weeks definitely has a chance to put up some good numbers. Final guy we're going to talk about wide receiver. Lions rookie Jamison Williams finally got that practice window activated. Wasn't even sure if it was going to happen after we just weren't getting many good updates on the guy all season long. Now they have 21 days to activate him. It's not a given he's going to be out here for week 12 unless I missed something in that reporting. But, hey, Amon Ross St. Brown, he's the only guy in this offense that's really getting force-fed targets at this point. Obviously, Hawkinson now resides in Minnesota. DJ Chark just came back from IR himself, but they're easing him back into things. DeAndre Swift is unironically their RB3 because he's not being listed on the injury report. I don't know how else to interpret uh, that phenomenon going on there. But Jamison Williams, Nate, just really viewed as the best field-stretching speedster out of this class. True game-changing ability out there. Now, will he be 100% coming off that devastating ACL injury remains to be seen. But again, one of the one of the sayings that you said about Kyron Williams about five or six weeks ago, maybe not even that long, but he's a lottery ticket. And Jamison Williams, as a first round wide receiver in an offense that we have seen put to put together some big performances, is a lottery ticket. And there aren't many lottery tickets out there on the waiver wire here in week 12. So thoughts on Jamison Williams, Nate, and how willing you would be to use a bench spot on here on him down the stretch. I'm definitely willing to if I have this spot open. Um, just the possibilities are there that he could do well. Just it really depends on how healthy he can get, how quickly he can get up to speed, um, being able to catch passes from Jared Goff and um, playing in NFL action since he's been injured all this time. So really didn't get much of a chance during training camp or basically the season so far. So it really depends. But like you said, the Lions have had a number of injuries to wide receivers. Josh Reynolds missed the last game. Uh, DJ Chark was really only playing two to three snaps per quarter. So it was interesting to see a team really say that they were going to have a guy in a snap count and then follow through on it throughout the entire game rather than have him play a couple a little bit early and then not play at all or a little bit early and then have him play the rest of the game. So 
uh, there's the opportunity there for him to be a starter in Detroit. And um, if he's the player that he was in college, that's great, but we might not see that until next year. Moving on to tight end, we talked before Dawson Knox, one of the big five waiver additions of the week, but he is already owned 69% of ESPN League, so I understand if he's not out there on the wire. Juwan Johnson, not Taysom Hill, Juwan Johnson, the actual, actual top-scoring Saints fantasy tight end of the season, still only owned at 19% of leagues, even though he uh, actually has scored five touchdowns in his last five games. Nate, we're hearing that the Saints want to expand the Taysom package. So that's still a thing. Like I'm Sean Payton must really just be calling, you know, Dennis Allen every single day out there trying to get his guy Taysom more run. I don't know, but Jawan Johnson, someone where again, Ertz, Goddard, Pitts, a new tight end seemingly out for the foreseeable future every single week. Jawan Johnson, if you need a tight end here, probably your best bet here in terms of just really being readily available. Him or Trey McBride, I would say, behind Dawson Knox in terms of guys under 20% owned that you can't actually be relying on this week and potentially beyond. Uh, yeah, Johnson's definitely the top guy that I would get more so for the rest of the season. Um, he does have those five touchdowns. The only concern is he really hasn't been uh, seeing much volume total. He only he doesn't have a game over 50 receiving yards this season, so he really hasn't been consistently used, but he is one of the most heavily targeted tight ends once a team gets into the 10 yards from scoring. So he definitely has a good chance of scoring. He does have a tough matchup against the 49ers next week, and that's a team that's been very good at shutting down tight ends this season. So if you're looking for someone specifically for this week, um, he's probably not the player that I would go with. But he does have some good matchups against the Buccaneers and Falcons later in the season that I'd definitely be more willing to trust him against. And again, trying to help out because as much as we do see guys like Greg Dolchitz, who's our next tight end on the list, only owned allegedly in 49% of ESPN leagues. And it just sucks, sucks. And they apparently were in the 51% of leagues where he's never available out there. So Greg Dolchitz, if he is there, yes, prioritize him ahead of guys like Jawan Johnson, Trey McBride, and Logan Thomas. But Johnson, Logan Thomas, and Trey McBride certainly can be guys to help give you some solid numbers as well. With Trey McBride, Nate, this will be our last guy that we talk about here on the pod. Didn't get the every down usage we were necessarily looking for on Monday night there. And we also had a situation where, you know, the Cardinals pulled their starters out, you know, in the fourth quarter because of how bad that blowout loss was going against the 49ers. But still see him. I don't have his routes in front of me, but at least in terms of a snaps perspective, excuse me, 76% snaps out there. His One of his backups, Steven Anderson, dropped, you know, a 20-yard touchdown. Didn't exactly do himself any favors to for earning future reps. I know Max Williams is still involved to some extent, but – so far, man, I give that usage a solid B plus out of Trey McBride. Not the every down roll, the Ertz 90% roll we were hoping for just yet, but pretty good for the first game's worth of snaps without Ertz in the picture. It was pretty good, but my concern is that it will go down even further since typically when we see this happen, it's the backup tight ends that are rotating in more. But what Arizona did is they started using a lot more for wide receiver sets. Um, they did it a lot in week one, haven't used it much since then and then used it double-digit times last night. So with Marquise Brown ideally coming back next week, that gets them even more depth at wide receiver, gets them more likely to want to get their wide receivers on the field since they're going to be a good six men, men deep at the position, assuming uh, Rondale Moore's injury isn't serious. So um, they have plenty of wide receivers, so I think they could be using four wide receiver sets even more often on third downs going forward. That's interesting. So you think Hollywood or, I mean, I feel better about Rondale moving forward, assuming his injury isn't overly serious based on that idea where, okay, now Marquise Brown, we're not going to see the nightmare scenario that happened last year where Rondale gets moved back to gadget status. You know, we have uh, Marquise in the slot, Hopkins on the outside, and then AJ freaking green or whoever also working ahead of Rondale. You think it could actually just be Trey McBride as the odd man out once all these guys are healthy. Uh, yeah, I think Marquise Brown lines up on the outside, and we've seen Greg Dortch basically get 70 yards every time that Rondale Moore has been out. Um, Greg Dortch was surprisingly not only taking his role in the slot, but also taking his role as the outside wide receiver in two wide receiver sets over A.J. Green and uh, Robbie Anderson. So they seem to like Dortch as their number four wide receiver, so I could very well see Dortch and Moore both being in the slot in these four wide receiver sets. And if we do see Rondale, unfortunately, have to miss this week. To Nate's point, we have seen Dorch put forward some, especially in full PPR scoring, more than solid weeks. Just five games this year, playing even half of the offensive snaps. 
seven catches, 63 yards, four for 55 and a tutty, nine catches, 80 yards. He caught a short touchdown against the Saints. And last night, nine catches, 103 yards, and even the one target. I mean, he was just bummed out. I saw he ran the didn't run the right route for Colt McCoy, but 10 targets for that guy when he obviously wasn't even supposed to be a big part of the game plan until Rondale got hurt early on. So keep an eye on that situation. As always, you can catch myself and PFF analyst Nick Bodyford breaking down all the key fantasy football injuries every single Friday here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. So with that, Nate, Pretty exciting addition of the waiver wire, I think. We've had some duds here over the past few weeks just in terms of not that many injuries going on, which is always ideal, but had a lot to talk about here, and I think we did a good job sorting out for everyone. So let the people know what you got over at pff.com. And again, all this waiver wire information is always coming to you from Nate on Mondays and Tuesdays, once again, on pff.com. Uh, yeah, so I have my recaps to all the games going up basically immediately after those games finish. The waiver wires went up about Monday at 2 a.m. So if you're looking to do waiver wires just a couple hours after games finish on Sunday, you're able to put your waiver claims in that early. Um, along with that, the five to add, five to drop, five to buy low, five to sell high, that went up today. Rest of season rankings that went up today. We'll have rankings for next week tomorrow. Start set going up on Thursday, and I will still have the recaps to all of the Thanksgiving games right after those games on Thanksgiving. Damn it, Nate, take some time off on Thanksgiving, man. Eat some. Thanksgiving morning is for. Kings stay kings. We all appreciate your grind day. And again, like, you know, I appreciate everyone out there and sending your workload metrics and snaps and stuff. You're trying to participate in the fantasy conversation. That's great. Just realize, usually coming from PFF first and foremost, and Nate's your guy to go follow on Twitter at PFF Nathan Yonke. If you want to go get that first before anyone else, always has great actual notes in the course of those recaps as well. He should be looking to sell high on, buy low on, all things of that nature. So always great stuff from Nate. Myself, you got the Sheesh Report, quarterback, running back, wide receiver articles, mismatch manifesto, injury. We basically got seven articles, seven pods. If if you're not doing a piece of content or two a day, Nate, I don't know, just – going to drive you crazy out there at least during the season and yeah guys week 12 let's freaking get it only a few more weeks until the fantasy playoffs great day to be great as always so for nate i'm ian thanks so much for tuning in the pff fantasy football podcast and until next time take care everybody